0: This episode features discussion of violence that some people may find disturbing. Listener discretion is advised, especially for children under 13. Shell first began production in Nigeria more than 60 years ago. And its legacy in the oil rich and densely populated Niger Delta region has long been one of environmental devastation and human suffering. Ogoni is the land, the people Ogoni. The Ogoni of trees dying in ancestral farmlands, streams polluting, weeping filth into murky rivers. It is the poisoned air causing the luckless lungs of dying children. Ogoni is the dream breaking the looping chain around the drooping neck of a shell-shocked land. That was a poem titled Ogoni written by Ken Sarowiwa Welcome to Story Story, a podcast exploring forgotten Nigerian history. You can find episodes of Story Story for free on Apple Podcast, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe to our podcast wherever you are listening from. Now, to today's story. Ogoni land is situated in an area east of Port Harcourt in River State, Nigeria. This is in the Niger Delta region of southeast Nigeria. The area forms part of the coastal plains, featuring terraces with gentle slopes intersected by deep valleys that carry water intermittently. The area was characterized with rainforests, with cleared areas for farming, rich soils for agriculture, and flowing waters for fishing. Ogoni communities are deeply reliant on their land and water resources, both for their livelihoods and for spiritual and religious practices, which particularly center on the river. However, things were about to change for the Oguni land and its communities. In 1956, four years before Nigerian independence, Royal Dutch Shell, in collaboration with the British government, found a commercially viable oil field in the Niger Delta. The Shell Petroleum Development Company, SPDC, started operations in Ogoni land in River State in 1958, drilling a total of 96 wells to bring nine oil fields on stream. By the end of 1992, Ogoni production was some 28,000 barrels of oil a day, about 3% of SPDC's total production. With this booming oil business came extreme environmental despoliation from decades of oil spills, gas flaring, contaminated farmlands, and polluted rivers. In a 15-year period from 1976 to 1991, there were reportedly 3,000 oil spills of about 2.1 million barrels of oil in Ogoni land. This accounted for almost half of the total oil spills of the Royal Dutch Shell Company worldwide. The spills contaminated soil and water, making Ogoni traditional farming and fishing impossible. No fish remained in the river. Groundwater was full of toxins and even rainwater was acidic. Even in areas where no effect was visible, groundwater became contaminated by carcinogen, entering into crops and posing a massive threat to the health of Ogoni and surrounding groups. The Ogoni communities were denied rights to clean water food, and air in favor of Shell's corporate interests. The Nigerian government repeatedly failed to protect Ogoni and their territory. The degradation in Ogoni was so stark that it was difficult to reconcile such lack, suffering, and pollution with the wealth that was steadily ripped from the belly of Ogoni land. In 1990, amidst poverty, environmental ruin, and the oppression of life under a brutal military dictatorship, a popular non-violent movement, MOSOP, burst forth from the Ogoni region of the Niger Delta to challenge Shell and demand an end to the exploitation and abuse of the Ogoni land and people. Mossop movement for the survival of the Ogoni people began campaigning for greater control over oil and gas resources by Ogoni communities. They sought economic development and autonomy over cultural, religious and environmental matters. There was a group of nine activists from Ogoni land that were instrumental for this movement. Their names are Ken Sarawiwa, Saturday, Dorbe Nodu, Eao, Daniel, Buoko, Paul, Levara Felix, Noate, Baribo, Bera, Barinem, Kyobel, and John, Buine. They were later described as the Ogoni Nine. These brave men never faltered or back down from criticizing the Nigerian government for its obvious reluctance to enforce environmental regulations on the foreign petroleum companies operating in the Niger Delta. They produced an Ogoni Bill of Rights addressed to the Nigerian government and demanded six billion U.S. dollars in damages due to past oil production, as well as four billion U.S. dollars for environmental damage. The Ogoni people want to control their own affairs. In a nutshell, Ogoni wants freedom. Freedom from oppressive and discriminatory Nigerian laws. Freedom from Shell's ecological war that sends over 200 Ogonis to untimely graves every week. Freedom to determine our own future and to set our priorities freedom to function within Nigeria as Ogoni people. Ogoni Bill of Rights. Sarawiwa grew to be the face of the movement for the survival of the Ogoni people. He started out as a spokesperson before becoming president of MOSOP and remained a key member of the movement. As well as his activism, Sarawiwa was a Nigerian writer, television producer, and commissioner for education for River State. As the first commissioner for education, he laid the foundations for fixing the gross undereducation problem in their community. He gave scholarships to scores of Oguni youth to increase the levels of education in the community. Because of the role he played, Educated Ogoni people felt deeply beholden to him. Many people were fiercely loyal to Sarawiwa. He was an Ogoni son who made them proud. He was, after all, a celebrity of sorts, with his journalism, playwriting, and screenwriting added to his activism and his previous role in government. On January 4, 1993, an estimated 300,000 Ogonis, a staggering three-fifths of the population, joined a massive protest. The United Nations recognizes the rights of all the world's indigenous people. Indigenous people have been cheated through laws such as are operated in Nigeria today, through political marginalization, They have driven certain people to death. In recovering the money that has been stolen from us, I do not want any blood spilled, (coughs) not of an Ogoni man, not of any strangers amongst us. We are going to demand our rights peacefully, non-violently, and we shall win. That was the voice of Ken saro The rally had no violence and no bloodshed, just as Ken Sarawiwa had told his people that it should be. Sarawiwa was reportedly so proud of the Ogoni Day Rally that he declared he would have died a happy man had he died that day. That peaceful rally may as well have been the high point of the Ogoni people and Mossop. The Mossop campaigns were so successful it got the attention of the international community. Mossop presented their grievances to the United Nations and even collaborated with foreign production companies to produce two docu-films, Delta Force and The Drilling Fields. These films captured scenes of environmental degradation that shocked and horrified the world at a time when there was a rise in global awareness and sensitivity to environmental issues. The Oguni people had the sympathies of the world and it was looking more obvious that the Royal Dutch Shell Company was not doing right in the Niger Delta. The The Oguni Oguni environmental justice and human rights movement was growing fast the Shell executive and the Nigerian brutal military government's alarm about the impact of this movement was growing just as quickly. I've been what they say is the incessant Shell was not about Nigerians. to stop its operations in the Niger Delta, and the government would definitely not give autonomy to a tiny community in the oil-rich region. What signal would that send to the rest of the communities in the Niger Delta? At the heart of this case is a corporation's responsibility for human rights abuses that it paid for, encouraged, and conspired with a brutal military government to commit. This government was Shell's partner in its oil operations. And all of these human rights abuses accrued to Shell's benefit in suppressing dissent against Shell's operations. That was the voice of Marco Simons, the plaintiff's attorney Earth Rights International. In response, a brutal terror campaign was launched against the Ogoni people, including direct attacks on their villages. This was allegedly funded by Shell, with Shell reportedly paying daily rations to the Nigerian army troops that were brought into Ogoni land to silence the Ogoni people. Thousands were killed as a result of this state-sponsored terrorism. Listen to this interview of Karalolo Kubara of Biara Village on the brutality of the Nigerian army in the Niger Delta region. When I was there to gather what they had destroyed, they shot my arm and severed it. There is nothing I can do now. I cannot farm. They have paid me no money. They have done nothing. They brought a lot of soldiers who shot us and injured us because of something that we own. We find it difficult to go back to our homes and houses. Because the soldiers, at any time, they see anybody outside, they shoot. That was the voice of another villager in Ogoni that witnessed some of the brutality of the government. With the increasing tension, Divisions began to occur within the Mossop ranks and there were strong differences in opinion of how certain issues should be dealt with. Their differences ranged from politics to fundamental ideologies on how Mossop should be governed. The younger Mossop members believed that the best way to get what the Ogoni wanted was through confrontation while the older members believed dialogue and negotiation. Needless to say, the youths were staunchly behind Sarawiwa. In Bros, in April, 1993, two women, Karalolo Kobara and Webari Nabi, were shot by Nigerian troops, allegedly called in by shell, while peacefully protesting the bulldozing of their farmlands in preparation for a Shell pipeline. Some Mossop leaders challenged Shell and the company agreed to pay compensation to the women's families. Sarawiwa and some Ogoni people saw this as selling out their people for a paltry sum. Around the same period, in 1993, Nigeria was preparing to hold a landmark election that would bring an end to 10 years of military rule in the country. The head of state, Ibrahim Babangida, would call for meetings with Mossop leaders three times in 1993 alone. Sarawiwa was of the opinion that Mossop and the Ogoni people should boycott the 1993 elections, while members like Laton and Kobani believed that the Ogoni should vote in the election. That way they could extract a commitment from the candidate whom everyone believed would win the election, the enigmatic Moshud Abiola MKO Abiola. When a reconciliation became impossible, Leitong and Kobani resigned from Mosop, and Saro Wewa took over as president of the movement. The elections were held and the Ogoni youths did their best to enforce a boycott. The times were tense everywhere in Nigeria. MKO Abiola was not publicly declared winner of that landmark election, even though he was the obvious winner. The election was instead annulled and Abiola was arrested and locked up for treason after he declared himself president. In that period, the government of Babangida stepped aside for a civilian leader who would be removed by another military leader, the highly feared General Sani Abacha. This president reportedly had a cordial relationship with Sarawiwa. It was said that he even apologized to the environmental activists on a certain occasion when his passport was seized and he was not allowed to travel for a UN human rights conference. Abacha even ordered that Sarawiwa's passport be returned. This move may have led the Mossop president to believe that he could still get concessions from the government. How wrong he was. Things were about to take a dark turn. The Nigerian military finally found justification to arrest Sarawiwa and the most sought-after leaders. On May 21, 1994, four Ogoni chiefs, who were all on the conservative side of Mosop, were brutally murdered. Many suspect this tragic killing was orchestrated by the military itself. Mosop leadership that uh, was part of this game was being arrested, and the security forces are out doing just that. Although the police stopped Sarawiwa from driving into Ogoni land on the day of the murders, he was arrested and accused of inciting these gruesome killings. The same happened to eight other Mossop leaders who along with Sarawiwa became known as the Ogoni Nine. The men denied the charges but were imprisoned for over a year and faced with a long trial that many consider to be a sham. Listen to this audio clip of one of Ken Sarawiwa's trials in court. I, or would ever have planned any such action and I will forever survive it, no matter what any forum decides upon. I appeal to you, my Lord, only one, for only one thing. The Goni people have suffered tremendously this country. They have made tremendous contributions. The Nanga Delta itself is in serious trouble. We need every assistance that we can get. On the 31st of October, 1995, Ken saro and the eight others were found guilty and sentenced to death by hanging. Six of the total 15 defendants were acquitted. They had no right of appeal. The story became international for the first time. The Ogoni Nine family reached out to the Commonwealth to intervene. alleged crime, arranging the murder of four of his closest associates during a mob riot on the 21st of May last year. Barely five hours after those horrific lynchings, my father was arrested. He was held in leg irons, tortured, Denied access to family, friends, and legal counsel. After nine months of this treatment, he was finally charged and brought before a special military tribunal. My father's real crime has been to organize a successful and non violent struggle against the exploitation of Nigeria's Ogoni people and lands by Shell Oil Company and the Nigerian government. That was Ken Wewa, the son of Ken Sarowiwa. In a race against time, Ken Wiwa, the son of Ken Saro sought out President Nelson Mandela, who was seen as the most influential African figure at the conference. Despite all efforts and cries from the Ogoni people, Commonwealth leaders took no action against Nigeria, who announced on the 8th of November that the death sentences were confirmed. On November the 10th, the Ogoni Nine were taken to Port Harcourt Prison to be hanged by the neck. Ken Saro-Wiwa's last words were, I never destroyed my people, but my people are killed. If it be that I can die to free my people please my God and the gods and soul of Ogoni land, allow me to die. In less than two hours, all the Ogoni nine were dead. The bodies were dumped in a graveyard where acid was poured over them to remove any trace of their existence. No one has been allowed to visit the graves. Ken Sarawiwa's reported final words were, Lord take my soul but the struggle continues The execution of the Ogoni 9 provoked a lot of international Let's talk about outrage. And its oil. The European Union condemned the executions which it called a cruel and callous act and imposed an arms embargo Human rights on Nigeria abuses that it paid for encouraged and conspired that was the voice of Marco Simons the plaintiffs attorney Earth Rights International. The United States recalled its ambassador from Nigeria, imposed an arms embargo on Nigeria, and slapped travel restrictions on members of the Nigerian military regime and their families. The United Kingdom also recalled its High Commissioner in Nigeria. According to the sitting British Prime Minister, John Major, the executions were a judicial murder South Africa's President Nelson Mandela led the call for Nigeria's suspension from the Commonwealth of Nations. Zimbabwe and Kenya also backed Mandela's demand to suspend Nigeria's Commonwealth membership, even though many other African leaders criticised the suggestion. The Commonwealth of Nations eventually suspended Nigeria's membership and threatened to expel the country if it did not transition to democracy in two years. The U.S. and British governments also discussed the possibility of an oil embargo backed by a naval blockade of Nigeria. Many believe this was a display of hypocrisy by the British government who could have turned things around earlier. The families of the Ogoni 9 have taken the oil company Shell to court in different instances citing the company's culpability in human rights violations and the killing of the Ogoni Nine. The Sarawiwa family, in particular, had three separate lawsuits against Royal Dutch Shell, its subsidiary Shell Nigeria, and the subsidiary CEO Brian Anderson in the United States District Court for the Southern District of New York. The company and her CEO were charged with complicity in human rights abuses against the Ogoni people in the Niger Delta, including summary execution, crimes against humanity, torture, inhumane treatment, arbitrary arrest, wrongful death, and assault and battery. The lawsuits were filed by the Center for Constitutional Rights, CCR, and co-counsel from Earth Rights International in 1996. But the cases were finally heard on 26 May 2009. On June 8, 2009, Shell settled out of court with the Sarawiwa family for $15.5 million. In response to this, the Remember Sarawiwa organization said, No company that is innocent of any involvement with the Nigerian military and human rights abuses would settle out of court for $15.5 million. It clearly shows that they have something to hide. Shell insisted that the payment was a humanitarian gesture and a gesture of sympathy, denying culpability in the death of Ken Sarawiwa and the deaths of the Ogoni Nine. However, Shell is yet to clean up the various oil spills caused by their oil exploration in different communities in the Niger Delta. The tune of unrest is one that has continued to play in the Niger Delta. The Ogoni may have lost their bravest men and with them their voice, but other tribes and regions in the Niger Delta have taken up the fight in different ways. Though none has been as concerted and non-violent as the Mossop movement initially was. In the years that followed, there was a rise in militants, an increase in the spate of kidnappings and bombings orchestrated by Niger Delta militants. The word militant was mostly used by the media to describe these men who were fighting for their rights the only way they knew how to. These were young men disenchanted with the poverty and pollution that numbered their days. Many sit back and watch as their land is pillaged and the best jobs and oil companies operating in their waters and lands are given to foreigners. Soon, a sense of anger and revolt consumed the more radical youth and violence soared in the region. The Ken Sarawiwa Foundation was established in 2017 to work towards improved access to basic resources such as electricity and internet for young entrepreneurs in Port Harcourt. The Sarawiwa Center provides training for tech startups and helps them grow. The association founded the Ken Junior Award, named after Ken Sarawiwa's son, Ken Wewa, who died in October 2016. The award is presented to innovative startup technology companies in Port Harcourt, a support system and hope for the youths who choose the route of business growth over militancy and illegal refining. We remember the Ogoni Nine. We must continue to recover our radical histories, stories, and voices so we can chart better futures for ourselves. Remember, forgetting is violence, and silence is violence. Thanks for listening to Story Story. We will be back next week to tell the story of Queen Amina of Zazel, a brave warrior that was born in the 16th century and expanded the territory of Zazel in present-day northern Nigeria. Remember to leave a review and rate the podcast. It will help us reach more people who want to learn more about history. What did you learn today? Don't forget to follow and tag us on Instagram at Story Story. We will see you next time. Story Story is a Lanoire Aderemi production supported by the Lord Roots Memorial Fund. Script design, sound design, music, and audio production by Loopify Media. Executive producer is Lanoire Aderemi. Producers are Emmanuel Akeju, John Alini, and Victor Durojae. Script design, music, sound design, and production by John Alimi, narrated by Victor Daudu, social media management by Elizabeth Akeju, cover art by Samuel Adeyemi, PR by Dare Balogu, project managed by Loopify Media. Special thanks to Ashiri Magazine for their research support. We found the Ogoni historical accounts and archival recordings of Joshua Project, Griffith Stephen, Vision on TV and Esri very helpful and some of them were used in this podcast episode many thanks to them